Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and this is a 2022 Havelina 100 pre-race interview with Nick Curry. Before we dive in, if you are a fan of Single Track, please consider supporting the show with a rating and review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. With that, let's get started. All right, Nick Curry, welcome back to the Single Track Podcast. Yeah, good to be back. So I'm going to be long-winded here for a moment because the last time you were here on the show, you were coming off Desert Solstice. You had just set the 24-hour record on the American side, and we we spent a lot of time talking about your philosophy of negative splitting when it comes to race strategy. So if listeners have not checked that one out, we'll link to it in the show notes, and there's going to be a lot much more of a discussion there. But I'm bringing it back up here again because you published a, a race report uh, a little bit after we recorded that episode, and there's a quote I want to touch on before we get into Havelina stuff. You say, and I'm going to read it here, quote, the best runners in the world show clear potential early on. And if they're going to make it big, they do it within a couple of years. I'd already pushed my limits for well over a decade and I was plateauing away from anything notable or so I thought, end quote. And I loved reading that. Can you go into a bit more detail about what you said there and I think I want to talk about it because it brings up one of the most interesting aspects of our sport where runners are able to kind of reinvent themselves on the fly at any, at any point. So um, maybe dig into it a little bit more and like kind of tell the audience what you were thinking there. Yeah. Like I think we're, I don't want to just say used to, but like it's almost a truism that if someone's going to be, you know, world-class because people even ask me like, I set the American record. Am I going to go after the world record? And like, they say that with good intentions, but also like the world record's 25 miles beyond. And like, yeah, sure. Maybe I could improve a lot, but like that is almost certainly like physically impossible, biologically impossible. Like there are differences. Not everyone is capable of breaking the world record, you know, 6 billion people or whatever. Uh, And so like, I try to understand where I'm at both from like, what should I be aiming for and pushing for realistically, but also being unrealistic has its own consequences. But for a long time, I assumed that like I wasn't capable of being like the best in the world or even the best in the country. And like, I was even reflecting on this uh, earlier this week in uh, coincidentally enough that I looked back and I think it was five or six years of doing ultras before I won my first ultra. And it was 15 years before I won like a hundred mile, 24 hour. Uh, and so like, I think that highlights kind of what I mean is like, you're, we're used to like, you have a Jim Walmsley or an Alexander Sorokin or a Killian and like, you know that they're going to be good and it might take them a couple years to get there. But even in those first years, they're like rising fast. They're already doing really well at some prominent races. And, you know, I tried and I trained and I improved And I was still like nowhere near that. I would go to any of these races and it's like, yeah, like someone else is clearly going to beat me clearly better. And I had to constantly push against the idea that like, maybe I just haven't figured it out or I just have to keep getting better and better. Uh, But we all know we kind of plateau at various points. And there's always the question, is that the final plateau or is there some other breakthrough you can come through? And so my career has basically been convincing myself over and over again that that plateau isn't the final one. Right on. 
Well, it seems like the last year has been a bit of a whirlwind for you, at least in the first four or five months post-desert solstice. You you were dealing with some injuries, and uh, I was impressed. You did hard rock on pretty minimal training, but you seem like you are cresting right now and, and things are clicking. Can you give some insight into how you've been training for Javelina and how you're feeling about it roughly a week out? Yeah, so hard rock, like I made my coach so nervous at so many points because like it was clear the whole spring was like a wash and I had like a bunch of like not good training and not good miles and constantly struggling with injury and finally like broke down and got PRP, which uh, if you're not familiar, is platelet-rich plasma injections. They take your blood out, they spin it down and they inject your own healing factors at like your site of injury. And I've had it once before and it worked great then. And this time I think it even worked better. And so like my Achilles heel bursa issues, five weeks out from hard rock, I get this injection. I was like in a boot on crutches for two weeks, had basically two more weeks to try to get just something worth of fitness in and then taper down. And yeah, hard rock went as good as I could have possibly hoped for that. Like obviously my base fitness kicked in, uh, but you know, that gets me so far. It got me pretty far. It didn't get me all the way. I kind of faded the last 20. Uh, but rolled through uninjured, which was uh, more than I expected. And then bounced right into like, I'm like, I have this in my head that I want to do Havelina, or I should say I did at the beginning of the year. And then I convinced myself that would be an awful idea because even if I got through hard rock, that wouldn't be enough time. Uh, But I tend to want to try those kind of things anyways. And so I've been extremely cautious the whole way, like ready to throw in the towel if like the training is too stressful or I start getting injured. But I was up to a hundred mile week two weeks after hard rock and then have just basically held it the whole time. So I'm cramming, which obviously is very risky and I understand those risks, but I just, I, I focused on endurance early on and getting the miles up and getting the body used to that just repetitive stress again. And then these last like few weeks to a month, I've really been able to focus on speed and get that in. So like, I'm definitely nowhere near as fit as I was at the end of last year. Uh, I can tell with my key workouts, like it's just not quite at the same level, but I'm still getting pretty fit. I'm feeling that magic starting to come back and it's enough that I'm willing to throw my hat in the ring at Havelina. I know the, the field is pretty stout. A couple of those guys on their best days, uh, I don't think I will match their like fastest times. You know, if Pat Reagan's running a, a 13 flat, I don't think I'll be with him. Uh, but I don't think I need to be because I've got the rest of the stuff going for me. Like it's my home course, like the heat, the hotter it is, the better it is for me. And I know <laughs> like I know from that race, both because I've run it and I've watched it, you know, countless years, uh, most of those guys are going to fall apart. And it's just a question if, if they fall apart enough, I'll be passing them laps four, lap five. Very interesting. Well, yeah, you ran this race back in 2020. I think you finished in 1409, second overall, just behind Tim Tollefson. Can you compare the day that you had uh, back in 2020 to the one that you think you're capable of having this time around? Like, I guess I'm wondering, do you think for yourself, even if you don't see yourself running 13 flat, do you see do you see time to shave off? And I'm curious about that. Yeah, like definitely... I, that's probably the upper bound of what I would expect, uh, that I think I'm about as fit, if not a little more fit than I was two years ago. And also two years ago, that was really just a training run for desert solstice at the time. So I didn't give it a hundred percent. Uh, I went out a little slower. Like I went out really slow relative to, it was like a 5% negative split. I think it was 45 minutes faster the second half. 
and I just hammered the last two laps. Uh, and so it was it was too far negative, I would say, to be optimal. And this, I'm actually going to like legit race, see how I can place against all these guys. Now there's the golden ticket on the line, which is exciting. Uh, and I'd love to sneak in for that. So yeah, I'd say definitely I should be sub 14. And then it's a question of how deep into the 13s I can go. Are you able to say what time you're targeting at the halfway point to set up a negative split? <laughs> I, I usually keep that close to the chest, but I feel like it, it, it will be no secret, like a, a lap in because you'll see my average pace. Like I'm shooting for 1345. And then, yeah, like depending on how I feel at halfway, I'll either maintain or try, hopefully be able to crank it down a little. I want to reference one more quote from your Desert Solstice race report. Uh, you say, I like competing at big races to remind myself just how far off I am. I can compete against Walmsley, Sororkin, Bitter. It will not even be a footnote compared to their typical performances, end quote. In the case of Javelina, do you feel like you belong in contention here? I do at this race. And going back to, I think the heat especially, like two years ago, I nailed every aspect of like the logistics of the race, you could say, you know, People are used to going there and it's, you know, upper 80s, some years it's even low 90s and people just melt down. Like the blowups are incredible. And mm. at the front of the pack, that's because you're barely getting out of the heat before you finish. And like mid and back of the pack, the thing that people don't expect is the temperature out there swings like 50 plus degrees. And so you get roasted all day. And then through the night when in theory, it's like perfect running. It's awesome. Uh, you can't move fast enough to generate heat and you start going hypothermic which is like bizarre because, you know, six hours earlier, you're getting heat stroke. And so like this race in particular, it's not, like people think of it as like an easy hundred or a first hundred or a fast hundred. And those can be true. But what's maybe more true is that like the heat management and the temperature management and like the subtleties of the course, there's no cover. You're just getting hammered with the sun all day. Uh, you know, that the desert, like dry lack of humidity really changes some things, changes how, you know, the temperature feels and logistics work. And so like when you add that in, it's not just about how fast you can run. It's about the total race management. And, you know, clearly that's one of my strengths is managing all the little details. And so two years ago, like I felt chilly for most of the race as it's hitting, wow. you know, mid to upper eighties because I'm doing so much heat mitigation. And so, you know, with that in there, like, I think I can run with the best, you know, as I said, you know, I'm not in my absolute lifetime peak fitness, but if I was, I think I could do as good as anyone out there. Assuming things fall into place for you and a golden ticket is there in your lap is Western States a race that interests you. And could you see yourself lining up for it next year? I mean, just as from a fan standpoint, your negative splitting philosophy would fascinate me applied to that course. Yeah, that's actually the reason why I wanted to race Havelina this year and why I took the risk of cramming all this training is every year I watch Western States and I watch the epic blowups in the second half. And all I can think is like, I would love to see what I can do out there because I think I could do something way better than what everyone seems to. But again, you, you don't know until you actually try it. Maybe it's it's hard in a different way than I anticipate and that wouldn't be the case. Or maybe it'll totally work and I'll go out there and be like, yeah, like, I'm going to change how people think about this race. 
lastly, uh, in addition to negative splitting, you're famous for your shoe choice. I think you wore road shoes at Hard Rock. And uh, for all the shoe heads out there, what are you what are you lacing up with on uh, race day? This is a trade secret. You'll have to wait and see. <laughs> awesome. Well, Nick, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We're looking forward to watching your race unfold uh, roughly a week from today. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Best of luck. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. Thanks again. We really appreciate your support. Really appreciate you listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.